0: All right, I want you to imagine with me for a second, uh, you and a friend uh, are flown out off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean, and you were dropped in the Atlantic Ocean to explore the ocean's floor, all right? And when you're dropped off, before you're dropped off, they give you a few options so you can explore the ocean's floor. Uh, the first one is, is you have no option. You just sort of hold your nose and look around as best you can. Uh, the second option would be they offer you a plastic bag. You can look around the ocean floor with a plastic bag over your head. Or third, you can have the scuba gear that they've supplied for you. Which one are you going to choose? The scuba gear. It's okay. You can talk. Yeah. Scuba, right? You're going to choose the scuba gear. I would assume. All right. Okay, imagine you've explored the ocean floor and now you've, now you've found a fish. You found a beautiful fish. You want to take it back home with you. So you've taken that fish out of the ocean, and you go back to the store, and there you are, the the fish kind of flopping in your hand. You walk into the store, and you want to figure out a way to take this fish home. And you say, I need something to take this fish home. And they said, we've got thousands of options. Here's a few. There's a wooden box over there. There's a cardboard box over there. And there's a bucket of water over there. What are you going to choose? Bucket of water. Yeah. Good. So, right, you would be most free... To explore the ocean's floor with a scuba gear, the fish would be most free right in the uh, bucket of water. But now, let's say you go back home, right, and you need to get back home. You've got the bucket of water, you got the fish in there, and you got a brand new Tesla, all right. And so you need to get home, and you've got five options to get you home. All five of these options take you straight home, all right. The first option is is to drive your new Tesla through the ocean, all right. The second option would be that's right, Abby, I know, or Sadie, that was it, yeah. It's an op- strange option, but it is an option. right, second option would be to drive over a tall mountain. The third option would be to drive through a swamp. The fourth option would be to jump up a ram and you could fly home. Or the fifth option would be to drive on the newly paved road. They could choose straight home. Which would you choose? Which would most free you? Which would most free the Tesla to get home? Drive the road, right? Okay, last thing. You finally get home. And you're hungry, right? It's been a long day. And when you get home, you walk through the door and you've got all these options to choose from, right? You could eat the hammer, right? You could eat, let's say, the cardboard box over there. You could eat the toothpaste or you could eat a piece of cake. Which one would you most believe would most free your body to eat and be satisfied? You choose the cake, right? Pretty obvious choice. Obvious exercise here. Obvious Contrary, friends, to what we are being told, freedom is not found in options. Nor is freedom found in the absence of restrictions. Freedom is found by having the right restrictions for the right choice. You were were not more free to explore the ocean floor by the options that were given to you. That's why Sadie was aghast by my option. You were only free to explore when you had something to help you see and breathe, given your biological limitations, right? The restrictions of water in a bucket made you and the fish to enjoy one another's existence for a time longer. The restrictions of the road made the Tesla to do its job. The restrictions of the edible food made you to enjoy the cake. Freedom, friend, is not defined by options or the absence of restrictions. Freedom is found in function and function, being limited to do that which you were made to do. You free the train by keeping it on its tracks. You free the fish by restricting it to water. And you free humanity by restricting it to Christ, the one who is life and the light of man. I have come, Jesus says, that you may have life and have it to the full. And the way that we submit to Christ, who is our life, is by submitting to his word. Being restricted by that word in what we were made to do. To live for the glory of our creator and king by hearing and doing that word. So that's the big idea this morning that we're going to take away. Hear the word and do the word and be free. That's it. That's what we're going to think about today. Hear the word and do the word and be free. And there's kind of a sub-warning here. Right? If you hear the word only and not do, you will not be free. If you just hear it and don't do it, you won't be free. That's the kind of subword. So let's dive in. Take a look. James 1, 22 to 24. I'm just going to read these verses for now. We'll go all on down to verse 27 in a bit. But here it says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Let's just stop there for a moment. Two points this morning. Here's the first. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. So James has been talking a lot about deception. right? You can see the word there in verse 16, verse 22, and verse 26. If you're new to Christianity, having that Bible in front of you will help this sermon be a little better than it actually is. So keep that in front of you. You see the word deception uh, there, 16, 22, and 26. And in fact, we actually, James is going to go on to conclude his letter at the very end of his letter. The last words of this book in chapter 5, verses 19 to 20, by talking about the need to rescue those that wander. And the word for wander there could be translated deception or deceived. And so he's very, James is very concerned about the dispersion, going to new places, new cities and being led away from the truth. He knows that Satan is a liar and he knows that many are deceived by his lies, not to mention the ways in which we can be self-deceived, right? Ourselves. And so James has had us to then pay attention to the word of truth. And you can see the reference to the word there in verse 18, verse 19, verse 22, and 23. All this stuff is around us in this passage we're looking at. And so in this passage that we're looking at this morning, James brings the opposing realities of word and deception together by warning us in verse 22 to be doers of the word and not hearers only, thus deceiving yourselves. He wants us to understand one very haunting reality. He wants us to understand this haunting reality that you can hear the word of Christ and be deceived into thinking that you're safe in Christ when you're not. And therefore, you're enslaved to yourself for those death-giving ideas. We can think of even a couple of examples in the Bible that have done this. Remember King Herod? King Herod loved John the Baptist preaching. The Bible says that he heard him gladly. And yet Herod would go on to sever John the Baptist's head. We can even think of the ministry of Christ, right? Jesus was known to be, crowds would come around him, would listen to him. It says the crowd said that they heard him gladly, his preaching gladly. And yet those very same crowds would be the ones that would call for his crucifixion. I'm sure all of us could tell stories of people who regularly heard the word of Christ gladly and yet didn't live it out. They were deceived. We can think about maybe the academic or philosophical admirers of the Bible. Or more commonly, those who most every week were in church listening to the Bible be taught, maybe even teaching it in Sunday schools or the light themselves, or, or still others. Maybe some who heard the word and even appeared at some level to do the word. Maybe serving in kids' ministry or helping the poor in some ways, but then turning out to live godless lives and other aspects of their life. All the while thinking they were safe in Christ. Jesus talks about these kinds of people. And that may be most haunting passage in all the Bible. Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 to 23. When Jesus says, not everyone who who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my father in heaven. On that day, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? Sounds like they were doing some things, right? But look what he says next. And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so they took the name of Christ. They heard him gladly, maybe even did some good things. But they were marked, their lives were marked by lawlessness. They were marked by rebellion to God's word. Their lives didn't match their confession. And Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me. They were deceived. They were deceived. There are many people that hear the word but don't actually do the word and so deceive themselves in this nation. Many uh, might have a Christian fish on the back of their car and a cross around their necks, maybe a Bible in their room. and They maybe even go to church when it's convenient. Maybe they hear, but they rarely, if ever, do the word. They're deceived. Maybe this is somebody here in this room. Maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe in considering this, you may be asking the question, well, how can I be sure of my deceit? Might, can you help me think about this a little more? Well, thankfully, James again explains it further. Take a look again at those passages there, verse 23 to 24. What would it look like to be deceived into believing you're safe in Christ when you're not? Well, we, we know that it involves some aspect of hearing the word but not doing it, not living out what the Bible says, as it were. But he gives us a more helpful uh, illustration here. He says the deceived are like a man that looks intently at his natural face in the mirror and then goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Well, here's what's interesting. That word for natural face there is deeper than it appears. It's more than just looking at a physical face. This word is only used three times in the Bible. It's used once in here, obviously, and then Later, James will use it in James 3.6 to refer to life. And that same word is used also helpfully in Matthew 1.1 1, 1 with the word genealogy, the genealogy of Christ. In other words, the idea here is not just to say that the man looks at the physical features of his face in the mirror and forgets them. James is saying he looks carefully at who he is, where he comes from as a person created in the image of God. The the mirror has told him something. It's told him something about who he is and who he was made to be. And he looks at it, the text says, intently. Looks at it intently. And then he forgets. He doesn't seem to have any interest in what the mirror said. So if you and I were, for instance, to look in a mirror and you saw some maybe some jelly on the side of our face. And we saw the jelly and there it was. We saw it. The mirror told us that it was there. But then we just walked away and did nothing about the jelly on our face. We would then know that it was telling us something and we didn't care enough to change it, to wipe it off. James is saying here the mirror was useless to the man, even though he looked at it intently. So the message it told didn't change him. He just forgot. He, he didn't pay attention to it. The mirror, of course, right? James is using the mirror uh, as a metaphor for the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's the previous verse back up in 21. We just thought about that last week. The mirrors representing the word. The word we are supposed to look into and then do. Something about verse 22. So he looks into the word, he sees who God has made him to be and what he's supposed to be like. He stares at it, he hears it, and then he forgets what the mirror, what the word told him to be like. Forgets what he's supposed to do. In other words, the idea here is not just a lapse in judgment. It's not as though he just needed some more information or more reminding. Remember, he looked intently at it. He just didn't seem to care enough about what the word of God said to put it into practice. So in other words, it wasn't a matter of attention, but a matter of interests. That's the problem. He didn't seem to care about what God said he was supposed to be like. He heard, but his heart remained unaffected as evidenced by his inaction. I think about this from time to time when, for instance, my wife has asked me to take out the trash. And I say, yes, I'll do it. And I see the trash sitting right there. It needs to be taken out. So Nathan, you need to take the trash out. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I see the need. And then an hour goes by and I haven't taken out the trash. Right? It wasn't as though I didn't hear it. it wasn't as though like I, I need a lecture to help me understand that trash staying inside of a home is bad. It wasn't as though I didn't hear what she said about the need to take it out. What it was at the end of the day is I saw it. I heard it. I just didn't care enough to take it out. I didn't care enough to love my wife, to love my family by getting it out of there. I loved what I was doing more. So I forgot her words. You can see how being deceived like this is a dangerous place to be, right? Throngs of people that take the name of Christ and listen to sermons or read books or their own Bible and remained unchanged. Friends, these guys fill our nation. Fill the world. They fill our churches. They fill our pulpits. And yet, they still feel safe in Christ. And so maybe we ask the question all right, how is it we can how is it we can expose some of this deception? Right? Well, first off, the one way you can expose this deception, people that are deceived, is by preaching this passage. That's one way, very helpfully way, important way. But another way you can expose this passage, one of the greatest gifts of God's grace to awaken this deception comes from a place you might not expect. Deception, friends, disintegrates in the face of churches who are careful with church membership. How is that, you ask? When churches express their membership to the body of Christ by then joining a local church, becoming a member of that church, submitting to the life of that church together, a healthy local church is then able to love people that are deceived like this by going through the steps of restorative church discipline. Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Galatians 6, all over the Bible. By walking them through the aspects of restorative church discipline. To help expose them, lovingly, gently, compassionately warning them to not just hear, but to do the word. And if they don't, since that church bound them, since that church took them in, affirming their salvation, they then love them by loosing them from membership and a place at the Lord's table. As Jesus said in Matthew 18, treating them like an outsider, a Gentile or a tax collector. Not because that church is a bunch of jerks, but the opposite. Because they love them enough to warn them from their deception before it's too late. It's a loving act. To do otherwise would be to not be loving. Right? That's important for us to understand. So when churches don't practice membership or don't graciously practice discipline, as clearly taught numerous times in the Bible, they then let people go on being deceived that is no more loving than it is to let a car barrel down a road that you know has a broken down bridge at the end and just say nothing to them as they pass by. You love them by saying, turn around, where you're going is going to kill you. That's what churches that do this carefully must do. When churches and individual Christians give themselves to this work of binding and loosing members, knowing the dangers of deception around them, everybody wins. Everybody wins. The body of believers, the church wins by having its witness for the gospel preserved in that community, which is a good thing, as we'll see in a moment. The individual Christian wins because their life and doctrine goes beyond their own personal evaluation. In other words, they're not left to themselves wondering if if I'm one of these deceived people, but they have a church that is covenanted to love them and tell them the truth around them. So they have more people to help have eyes and love them towards the truth. And third, the lost even wins as the church then gives itself to making clear what a Christian is and what a Christian isn't. Everybody wins when healthy churches try and expose the deception that is all around us by being careful with its membership, namely by who's a Christian and who's not, making that clear. So, friend, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, so thankful that you took the time to be here. We can't think of a better way for you to be spending your Sunday morning. Thank you that you're here. But my guess is, you probably know people like James is talking about here. You've seen them. People that heard the word but didn't do the word. Uh, people that you know, took the name of Christ but didn't act like Christ. Maybe that's why you've had a hard time trusting the Bible. It didn't really seem to liberate them as you were leading on. I hope you see that the Bible addresses people like this. The reality is all of us sin. Nathan Knight sins. All people sins. But God desires us to repent of sin, to look to Christ for forgiveness at the cross and in his resurrection. And then from that word, from that liberation, where Christ purchased our salvation from the love of God, we work out what he has worked in. That's what a Christian's supposed to do. Verse 18, if you see back in James 1:18, says that God brought us forth from his word of truth. He saved us, he did it. And then verse 22, from that we then go do what he worked in. We do that, we work it out not to earn our salvation, but to expose the fact that we have been born again, that we've been changed by the love of Christ. Hearing and doing for the Christian is our freedom. It's our liberation. It's what we're made for so, friend, if you're not a Christian, let me show you that from the Bible itself. Let's see how we can hear the word and then do the word as we walk in the path of perfection, walk in the path of liberty and freedom. So far, just summing up what we said so far uh, is do not be deceived, right? Make sure that you're hearing and doing. And so, secondly, second point this morning, hear the word and do the word and be free. Hear the word and do the word and be free. Maybe, maybe the best way I can help those of you that are not Christians, maybe uh, are thinking about following Christ. Maybe the best way to illustrate this is uh, what it looks like when somebody is self-deceived is by looking at someone that's actually not deceived. See what they're actually doing it right. Someone that hears and does. And now once again, the word has been right at the forefront of James counsel in this section in James 1. Once again, James 1.18, of God's own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. James 1.21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The word saves. Remember that. Once again, I'm going to keep hitting you guys with this when we get to James 2. But he goes on to say, verse twenty. Two, but don't just receive it, verse twenty one, don't just receive it, verse twenty two, be doers of it. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And so God saves by his own will, not our work, but through the word, through the word, right? That's verse eighteen. God continues saving us by the word as we receive it with meekness, verse twenty one, and we receive that word by hearing and believing. First part of twenty two. And then we show the evidence of that life of the word by doing what it says. Second half of 22. And this word we are called to, friends, is not contrary to what we are like. But it's what we are meant for. It's our liberation. Let me show you. Verse 25. See it? James makes a transition here. After describing what the deceived are like. Right, he's made the kind of big idea there in verse 22. He then shows the deceived, and then he comes out of that, of the deceived, by showing what it is supposed to look like in verse 25 when he says this. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, there's where I'm getting that language, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Okay, so as we've been thinking about the word, The Bible, the truth this morning. I wonder how, how do you view this book? When you see it sitting on a table or you see me holding it up right here, bounding up into the pulpit every week, opening it up, explaining it, how do you see the Bible? I'm not asking what do you believe about the Bible. I'm asking you, how do you see the Bible? What comes to your mind? Do you see it as a book of rules? Uh, Do you see it as a book of stories and some kind of good moral instruction? Do you see it as a kind of book of obligations, a kind of contract of sorts? Well, James, who was the half-brother of Christ, sees it as perfection. He calls it the perfect law or also the law of liberty. And you're blessed. You want to be blessed? You're blessed when you do what it says. You're blessed when you do it. And friends, he's not alone uh, in thinking of the Bible as the kind of law of liberty or freedom or the perfect law. That is the overwhelming cry of all of the authors of the Bible. Let me just give you, just. I'm going to skip a rock across a few. Take a look at Psalm 19, verses 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119, verses 93. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. Verse 98 of Psalm 119. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. Verse 105 of Psalm 119. Your word, y'all know this one, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the book. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. Why? For this is the whole duty of man. What about Jesus? What did he think about the Bible? John 4, 34. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his word. The food of Christ was to do the word. And guys, there's tons more. Tons more. I could give you tons throughout the rest of Scripture. But let me give you one more. And kids in particular want you to listen to this one. Because this one is written to a, a a guy by the name of Timothy. And he's talking about how his mom and grandma taught him the Bible. So kids, listen to this one. 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood... You have been acquainted with the sacred writings. I teach my kids the Bible, right? That's what they were doing with young Timothy. And what do do we think about that? You have been acquainted with the sacred writing, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Same thing James says. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. In other words, Paul says there, the, the word of God is life, it's liberty, it's freedom, it's salvation. It's where we find salvation, it's where we find Christ. It tells us who God is, it tells us who we are. It tells us what the problem with the world is, and it tells us its solution. As we look into the mirror of it intently. It tells us what we're what like. It tells us what we're made to do. By grace through faith. And then action from its uh, words. In this word we can become. Bible says. Sanctified. Come complete. Equipped for every good work. You want to be complete? Don't go pick up a self-help book. Read the Bible. <laughs> It's there, it's promised, it's made a promise to you that it'll liberate you by the grace of God through the power of the Spirit. That's why James calls it the law of liberty. Why in the world would you not give yourself to studying this book? It's not a rule book or a textbook, but, but as a, it's a book of our freedom. It's what it is. It's the lane of liberty. It's the highway to Christ and from Christ. So, beloved, you should know, and friends uh, here visiting, you should know, everybody's life is built on a word. Everybody's life is built on some kind of word. Your your life is built on some kind of word that you're believing. Could be the American dream, could be your parents' uh, dream for you, could be your own dreams and imaginations. Everybody on planet Earth is living by a word. And everyone at some level believes that that word that they're living for will free them. You're living for a word that frees them. And oftentimes, this word is embodied in a movie or a song or a phrase or a sign in the front yard, maybe a kind of cultural tribe that you're pointing at. But everyone is living for and by a word that they believe will give them the freedom they want and they need. Because we all know that we're broken personally. And we all know we live in a broken world. And we're looking to words to help us know how to get out of it and be free. But this is our word. This is the word. It's not just our word, even as Christians. We as Christians believe this is the word for all humanity. We believe this is the word God breathed out, as we heard. Breathed out to the whole world in order to give us life. In the same way that God breathed into the nostrils of Adam and gave him life in the beginning. God spoke through the authors so that everyone might know God and the son of whom he sent in order that he might taste and see that which is truly life. And not just know it, not just hearing it, but doing what it says and not every once in a while, not as it's convenient, not as it's accepted, but as the vision of the good life, all of it persevering at it, as the text says. See that word persevering. In other words, they don't hear it, then forget it. They're the opposite of the other guy. They stay at it. They stay at it. Not forgetting it, not being deceived by it, but remembering it, meditating upon it, receiving it, hearing it, and doing it. And then you keep doing it day after tiresome day. And when you get it wrong, and we do get it wrong, right, we repent. That's one of the ways in which we know we're doing the word. Is when we do get it wrong, we repent and say, I'm going to get it right the next time. And on I go, looking to Jesus for strength, for power. This, friends, is the perfect word your heart longs to be freed by. This is the liberty we all want. This is the kind of scuba gear that's meant to make us free to enjoy the ocean floor. It's the water to the fish. It's the road to the car. It's the the breath that every human being was made to live on the earth and be free by. This is the vision of life, the good vision, the good life. The problem is, We have been eating spoonfuls of a vision of the good life that has taught us to believe that life is what I mentioned earlier. We've been taking spoonfuls of freedom as unlimited options and no restrictions to be our true and authentic self. Therefore, when you hear me, or better yet, when you hear James say, the word of God is the perfect law or the law of liberty, you hear and you hear the very same law and you know Right, That law wants to, for instance, restrict your sexual identities and practices. You know, this, this law wants to legislate your amount of alcohol or drug consumption. Or demand you to have no other gods before him. And, oh, by the way, serve the orphan and the widow in their affliction and love your enemies. I realize that sometimes you hear this law and you're like, that, sound about, that sounds about as liberating as a straitjacket. But that's why we have to keep going back to James 1.18. This word brings eternal life. This word is able to save your souls. This word, beloved, became flesh and dwelt among us. It was the light and the life of man. This word became flesh and dwelt among us and gave his life as a sacrifice for our sins. So that every good and every perfect gift may come down to us from the father of lights. Of whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. This word is able to give us the world that we all want. He wants to free us in these commands. Free us from lying and cheating and stealing and abusing and dying. This is the word of heaven and from heaven. And yes, it is also the word of hell. The place of justice. This word gives us Christ, our hope. This is the word that gives us the right restrictions in order to be uh, in the right lanes for our lives so that we might run in them like the car runs on the road. I've been reading this book from uh, Ashley Hayes, and I think she asks a question provocatively. She says, What might happen if we tried embracing our limits as gifts? for our flourishing rather than barriers to success. She goes on to quote Leslie Newbegin, who said, true freedom is not found by seeking to develop the powers of the self without limits. For the human person is not made for autonomy, but for true relatedness and love and obedience. And this also entails the acceptance of limits as a necessary part of what it means to be human. And we all instinctively know that we just kind of push it aside. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ is our freedom as human beings. And this is the word of the gospel. This is the law of liberty. This is where we find our Savior. And so what must we do if we're going to enjoy this freedom? It says we need to be doing a word. So what must we do? Well, verse 22 and 25 says you must regularly hear it. right, And not just hear it. You must gaze at it. You must read it. You must hear it preached. You must meditate on it. What's interesting, you see that word in verse 25, that word for looks That there? That's the same word used of Peter when he stooped and looked into the empty tomb. What did Peter do? Do you think he went down into the empty tomb and was like, huh, look at there, right? You know, he didn't just kind of go in there and like, yep, you're right, he's not in there, right? He didn't, what did he do? He, surely he went in there and he stooped and he, Looked, and he went inside, and he looked around, and he thought, and he wondered. So must it be with us in this word, in the same way. He lingered over that tomb. He pondered over it. He wondered at that tomb. He looked into it. So must we do the same. You must not only read the word. you got to ponder it. Too many of us. We kind of fit the word in, like I need to read my Bible. And so we kind of get a couple verses is on the bus. Praise the Lord. Better to do nothing, something than nothing, but maybe read a word and ponder it. Look into it intently. Think on it. So we have to hear it, but then we got to go do it. We got to go do what it says commands those commands. James goes on to show us what it might look like to hear and do the law of liberty. Verse 26 and 27, he says, If anyone thinks he is a religious, he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. Here's one thing to do. Does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart. This person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Friend, do you want humanity to be free? Hear the word of Christ. And then let the Spirit of God tame your tongue. Restrict or limit or bridle the tongue. Man, Twitter would be fixed in a day if we did this. Right? (laughs) Think about how much good if we just bridled our tongues could happen. If we would be, as you heard Price pray earlier, slow to speak, quick to listen. Doing the word by watching our words and keeping them in step with the words of Christ and the meekness of Christ. But if that doesn't happen, if we don't bridle our tongue, if the tongue goes on untamed after hearing the word, then friends, what James wants you to know is the slavery continues. Deception goes on. Death goes on. Such a so-called religion, James says, is worthless person that hears the word and then doesn't tame the word tame their tongues in keeping with that James says that religion is worthless zero value but then we ask how else does James instruct us to be free by hearing and then doing he says pure and undefiled religion that is liberation is bridling the tongue and serving the needy serving the needy Being friends and neighbors to orphans and widows that have few friends, neighbors, or family inside of their afflictions. When people, orphans, widows are in their afflictions. You want to know how to do the word? You go help those people in that affliction. That's what Jesus did, right? That's what he empowers us to do. So for us, that might be like getting involved with DC 127 or a friendship terrace. If they can let us get back in there after the pandemic. Or maybe Christian legal aid. That's just a few ways. But remember, friends, most of the time in church history, the church doesn't have all these programs. The program is you. Find where orphans and widows are and serve them. Let us know how we can help you. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, equip the saints for the work of ministry. We've got a few lanes, those three lanes I just mentioned. But one of the ways in which you know you're doing, the word, is when we see people in need. The orphan, the widow, in their affliction. And we go. We help. We serve. We serve the needy by tending to their needs, by serving them with listening ears, serving them with a bridled tongue and and, and praying for them, reminding them that God loves, God sees, God hears, God knows, God remembers, telling them that in their affliction. But then there's more that it means to hear and to do the word. He goes on to say, to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, this is fascinating. Today, in our nation, we have some churches that are all about, right, serving the poor and the weak. And then you have another group of churches that are all about doing what the Bible says, kind of holiness kind of stuff. And yet the Bible comes in and says the freedom is both of those. That's that interesting? Serve the orphan and the widow and live a holy life. Obey the Lord's commands. That's the way of freedom. That's Jesus' church. Holiness, of course, we know being unstained means to be set apart. God's word tells us how to be set apart from the world, how to be unstained. It teaches us how to look like heaven while still on the earth. It shows us how to be aliens while in the earth, be unstained. And, and what's interesting about this, this notion of being unstained and being set apart, if most of us were honest, myself included, I put a lot of energy in trying to fit into the world. Not be unstained from it, be distinct from it. I put most of my energy to try to be just like it. And yet God's word comes in and says liberation is found in being unstained by the world. By being different in the world, but not of the world. Christ came into the world to pay for our sin and then empower us to live holy lives as he did. Not continue in the way that we were. It changes us. The word's supposed to change us when we're born again. We're a new creation. Unstained, right? Paul says this so clearly in Romans 12, one and two, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And there's those words again, good, perfect. Beloved, God is after your joy. He's after your joy. Which is why he says no to this and yes to that. Which is why he tells you do this and don't do that. Listen to me, guys. It is not legalism when it meets the call of Christ. That's freedom. That's holiness. That's good. That's perfection. What Jesus bought you to do. He loves you and wants you. He wants us to be free from sins, entanglements, and the deceptions of the world. And so you're, you're being unstained from the world is the pathway to your freedom and everlasting joy. And so give yourself to hearing and doing the word. Don't have a worthless religion. Have a pure and undefiled religion that sacrifices for those in need and then lives unstained from the world. That's freedom. That's liberation. That's what he bought you for. And friends, as we walk through the book of James, you're going to hear more what it looks like to do the word. We'll think about that a lot in the upcoming weeks. But let me end with this. There are two documents in our church that really sum up, I think, this passage. You guys hear about them a lot. That is our statement of beliefs and our church covenant. Our statement of beliefs sum up the core of what we believe it means to be a Christian. They represent, in many ways, verse 21, what you need to receive as the implanted word which is able to save your word, to believe it. And then verse 22 is our church covenant. It tells us how to live out what we say we believe, how to be doers of the word, the church covenant. If you're asking, if you're a visitor and you're like, Nathan, what's the vision of your church? What's well, sitting on that document right over there, our church covenant. There's our vision, which is a bunch of Bible verses just set out right under a document. That's all it is. Statement of beliefs, what we believe. Verse 22, how we live out what we believe. We be doers of the word. Those two documents really... Uh, Share with us what we think it looks like to do the word, that covenant does. And so I'm going to read our covenant to conclude. That's what I'm going to do. So that we would understand, We've, we've you've heard the word now, right? So now I want to give you just a little bit of work to help you think, what would it look like to then do this word by hearing the church covenant. And if you're a member of this church, be reminded this is what you promised you would do. And again, this is what you would promise to do when you submitted your life to Christ. So it's not necessarily distinct to restoration per se, although it is because you bond to this church and not that church. You get the idea. But second, for those that are looking to find a church home, looking to join a church, as I mentioned earlier, this would be a good way to kind of see what what kind of church does this church want to be? And then thirdly, if you're not a Christian and you're wondering what would it look like to be a Christian, uh, uh, you, this would be a good thing for you to listen to. I want to be clear. We don't do this perfectly. I'm the pastor of this church, one of the pastors. I don't do this perfectly. But this is what we're laboring to do by the grace of God and under the power of God for his glory and our good. Y'all ready? Here it is. What might it look like to hear the word and then do it in this church, in any church really, like this? Having, as we trust, been brought by divine grace to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to give up ourselves to him and having been baptized upon our profession of faith in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we do now, relying on his gracious aid, we can't do this alone, solemnly and joyfully renew our covenant with each other. We will work and pray for the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. We will walk together in brotherly love exercise an affectionate care and watchfulness over each other, and faithfully admonish and entreat one another as occasion may require. We will gladly cooperate with and submit ourselves to the elders of this church for the care of our souls and our good. We will not forsake the assembling of ourselves together, nor neglect to pray for ourselves and others. We will endeavor to raise the children under our care and the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And by a pure and loving example to seek the salvation of our family and friends. We will rejoice at each other's happiness and endeavor with tenderness and sympathy to bear each other's burdens and sorrows. Here comes that unstained piece. We will seek by divine aid to live carefully in the world. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. And remembering that as we have been voluntarily buried by baptism and raised again from the symbolic grave so there is on us a special obligation now to lead a new and a holy life. We will work together for the continuance of a faithful evangelical ministry in this church as we sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We will responsibly steward our spiritual gifts to the service of this church and the community at large. We will contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church. Here's James 1.27. The the relief of the poor and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We will agree to the statement of beliefs and the church discipline policy as defined by this church. We will, when we move from this place... By the way, I was reading this, elders. We need to add, if we move from this place. It's like we're just assuming everybody's going to leave, but anyway... We we will, if or when we move from this place, as soon as possible, unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, here's where our hope is to do this, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all, amen. That's your constitution. That's your declaration of independence. That's your freedom. Does it bind you? Of course it does. Everything binds you. You name it, it binds you. Be bound by the right things in the right way, which God has made you to. This is what the gospel does. This is what the work of the church is trying to do. Don't be deceived. Hear the word, do the word, and be free. And we'll do it together as we look to Christ to empower us towards that end. Let's pray together. Jesus, you bought this kind of community. You bought it with your blood. And so, may we give ourselves to it, not to pay off the debt. You've paid it all, as we will remember in just a moment. But Lord, may we evidence the new life that has been given to us by showing what heaven is going to look like now as we try to hear the word, read it, meditate on it, and then do what it says and help each other on towards that end so that we might help each other on towards heaven so that we might enjoy the glory of heaven now and we might share with those that don't have heaven that are looking to find it, that they can find it in us as we point them not to ourselves but to Jesus. God, thank you for these warnings against deception and thank you for the promise of liberation in Christ and in his word, which is for our good. We pray this in your name. Amen.